137th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal, episode 158. And it's fall, y'all, because I'm drinking a Great Divide Pumpkin Spiced Yeti Imperial Stout. You know why? Because when the air gets crisper and the foliage burns brilliant shades of red and orange, the Yeti yins for libation that captures the essential flavors of fall. It's rich and roasty with added layers of decadent sweetness, pumpkin spice Yeti. It's brewed with seasonal spices and unique selections of coffee from their friends at Pablo's Coffee. It pairs perfect with hay rides, pumpkin carving, and leaf peeping. Dude, when you first started reading that, I thought... Okay, he's going to go off on some tangent about what it tastes like. And then I was like, wait, did you write this? Uh, oh, okay, this is advertisement. And then no, by the end the back of, of the can. By the end of it, I'm like, just say it tastes like Yeti piss and fucking pumpkin. Dumb. Oh, my God. Like, I would be <laughs> lying if I said that. This is unpaid, of course. Like, fuck, Great Divide Brewing does not sponsor this show. But no, it's a Yeti beer, so it fits in with Paranormal. It's pumpkin spice because fuck you. It's September 1st. It's officially September. Okay, Keith. Karen and Keith over here. Oh my god, it's delicious. <laughs> I need my pumpkin spice everything. I know. They make a pumpkin spice <laughs> vape, so why not? <laughs> is Keith the new offensive term to a dude douche? I would I would think so. There's I Karen. You gotta Kyle, have you man. gotta have I don't know. Kyle's a little bit more like he's douchey, but not like not like racist. Ra- yeah, racist douchey. <laughs> he's just like hopped up on monster. Yeah. And now I do know a couple Karens uh, who are very <laughs> outstanding members of society and not assholes. So, yeah. I just think he, Kevin's. I think, I think uh, Keith is just like an underrated Keith. Lo- no, not lose her name. I don't want to offend any Keiths out there. <laughs> yeah, Keith Whitley, man. I bet he listens. He's no stranger to the rain. Karen and Keith or Karen and Kevin's. I think Kevin's better. My brother's Google name, Karen. you douche. I know, I know a lot of cool Kevin's. <laughs> Fuck, man. Yeah. Uh, Kevin doesn't listen to this podcast. I mean, if anything, they're probably Jasons, right? <laughs> Definitely Jasons. <laughs> Definitely Jasons. Yeah. No, I can't say that. I owe a lot to Jason. Preston, your brother, saved my bacon and got me the only copy of that Army of Darkness. Yeah, he uh, just pulled it out like, are you looking for this? Yeah. Record Store Day, like, I was completely unprepared for walking in there because the way he sold it to me on the phone was, yeah, we'll have them all laid out in stacks. Nope, they're just in jumble bins. And I'm just like, oh, jeez. And then Jason's like, what's Sean looking for? This one? Yes. Wait, does he? I was the first he one sounds to like pay that? and leave that place. Yeah, like a yeah. Muppet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. Yeah, Preston and I and Preston's brother, uh, Jason, went to Record Store Day. Of course, being socially responsible, masked up, and distanced. But uh, yeah, I got the only copy of the Army of Darkness vinyl soundtrack, and I owe it all to your brother. Congrats. Yeah. What and the you... fact that we got there at four hours early. What did you yeah, get Yeah, so you got to remember, like, when we left, all those people that were lined up behind the building, yeah. and you're only, like, 10 at a time, so those fuckers didn't get anything that they wanted. Yep. So no. it pays to be first. Yeah, as I was walking back to the uh, food truck, shout out to Paranormal Experience, Paranormal-themed food truck. Yeah. Uh, this guy's like, what's up, dude? Did you get what you want? 
uh, who was in line. And I'm like, yeah, literally the only thing I wanted is what I got. And I got the only one. <laughs> Did you give them stickers? No, I didn't have any stickers in my pocket. Loser. I meant to bring a stack for Preston, and I just totally shit the bed on that. So, yeah. listeners, we have a bunch of stickers, and we're going to be giving some to listeners. So, Jeez. I feel bad, because you know what? We promised stickers a long-ass time ago. Yeah, but these ones are cooler. Are well, <laughs> I need to send them out to the people we promised, because yeah. I totally just spaced that off and yeah. never shipped them out. But I do have the handful of people... Who I owe them to, so. So, and we'll definitely have some for when shirts come in. So, if you get a shirt, you get a sticker with it, a little bonus. Yeah, I, uh, I will see, I will see the printer. Uh, hopefully, at least this weekend to figure out where we're at on those and get that going. Cool. Jeez, I'm gonna stop giving promised dates of when stuff's gonna be ready because right now, <laughs> COVID nineteen, baby. Right. There are no rules. So, uh, yeah, the record store day seems seems pretty tight. Uh, my birthday is actually on the next one, September 26th. Yeah. So I'm taking that day off. I'm gonna join Preston. Uh, up there when and if Jason's there, I'm assuming he probably will be. Yeah, but I'm gonna do that. The only thing coming out that day that I want is Britney Spears. Oops, I did it again. B sides and rarities. I'm pretty damn excited for that. So, Sean, uh, is there a, was there anything on the list for September that you wanted? Uh, were you gonna try for that I, dead south or? I didn't even look at the list. <laughs> or are you All maybe I, gonna try for yeah. that Masters of the Universe that's left over from last record store day? <laughs> I don't know. I listened to some of it, and it's some pretty cool overture, but it sounds like the same song over and over. Is the Dead South just a single? I think it is. Yeah, it's on. Uh, it's a seven-inch vinyl. It's uh, two two songs. Yeah, um, I don't care about shit like that. Yeah. yeah. But I got to stand up for my girl, Britney. Shout out to Britney Spears. <laughs> and then, but no, <laughs> October's where the cherry is for me. So, Making fun of me for fucking drinking pumpkin mm. beers, and you're sitting here listening to Britney Spears, bud. Well, I mean, we all we each have our falses or fallacies, I guess. <laughs> fallacies? Yeah. That means <laughs> penis. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah. Some of us do have our own fallacies. Others but, have to require, rely on other people's. But for real, though, I'm excited to do that. I don't really want. I think uh, for uh, September, I'm excited for. Um, there's a Jimi Hendrix, and then there's a Primus. Um, that's like a special 3D cover. Um, so oh, that's I think cool. Those two are on my list. So, oh yeah, dude, that's pretty rad. Plus, Jason owes me a fucking record now, so he's probably gonna be buying mine. <laughs> cool. He could buy me one <laughs> too. Shout out, Jason. It's my birthday. You can go ahead and get me whatever you want, man. I'll ooh, ooh. I'll take seven inch vinyls all day long. Um, it's gonna be a pretty easy show tonight, guys, because uh, well, Daddy's drinking. And baby Preston's getting down with a nasty jam, so yeah. that that's Ooh. a hip way of saying getting sick, Steve. Yeah. Oh. Getting down with a nasty jam. That sounds like you're putting your penis inside of a jam jar, and I'm not cool with that. I mean, if you are, mm. that's cool, but. <laughs> well, there is that old saying about how if you can tell somebody's crazy because they've got their dick in the, the peanut butter, which means it's because they're fucking nuts. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, yeah, we, uh, we thought we would just share... Um, well, two or three missing 411 cases, have a chat about those, um, you know, kind of in a, a nice response to just the great review we got from Creep It Real. Still kind of buzzing about that. And we've also got a couple more, not reviews, but we did get two more five-star ratings on the old iTunes. So, Sweet. Yeah. On thanks, up. everybody, for the ratings. We do appreciate that. And uh, I guess anything else new with you guys? Dude, like I um, watched Watchmen within a week. Mm. That show is, on HBO is incredible. 
I really like how they made a sequel to to an already established comic. As far as I know, mm-hmm. I don't or a graphic novel, whatever. I don't know if this is all within the canon, so to speak, or whatever. But it, it's phenomenal. That show is great. Um, it's really good to see how they brought the Tulsa Oklahoma massacre, uh, Black mm-hmm, Wall Street, to mm-hmm. to the masses and let everybody know more about it. And how it fit into that plot, you gotta watch it. Like, it's so good. It deals with police and racial equality, and you know, government conspiracies, like everything we're dealing with right now in America. And it's just really, really, really good. So check it out. Uh, I also started another HBO show. It's actually airing right now on Sundays. It's called The Lovecraft Country, and hmm. pretty damn badass. Like. I don't really know much Lovecraftian stuff, but like, um, kind of get the gist gist of it. And I know uh-huh. that like with Lovecraft, like he did use the word the N word a lot in some of his stuff. Um, so I I they kind of handle that in the show within the first episode. I'm like, oh damn, that that's cool. They gave me that history knowledge, and mm-hmm. just showing like because the whole show is about this guy gets tracks down this manor thing, and he's actually related to lovecraft somehow or some shit some shit but he's black <laughs> so it's like what um yeah so- shayla and i watched uh when the shit hits the fan and they have to hide in the cabin mm-hmm. to the big reveal when he walks into the manor and i'm just like well, did i could get down on this because yeah yeah, yeah every uh, episode is just fucking bizarre and crazy yeah, I mean, he, uh, minor spoiler, folks. First yeah. episode, he he strolls into that manor, and it's got a clear lineage of white ancestors, and then they're like, "Right this way, this is all yours." And, yeah, oh, and shit. it's <laughs> and it's it's pretty trippy to see how like, um, so far every episode kind of does like a different mythos within the Lovecraftian stuff. Oh, okay, cool. So yeah. you're kind of getting like. Each episode feels like it's based around some kind of famous tale. I don't quote me on that because I don't know his literature that much. But mm-hmm. what I'm guessing is because like some of this shit is so far out there and stuff that like Brady's told me or other people, and I'm like, what the hell? This shit's weird. But mm-hmm. uh, phenomenal show, great cast. Uh, it's a little hook- hooky at times, hokey, whatever you want to say it. Um, <laughs> I like hooky, yeah, hooky, hooky, <laughs> hooky. Uh, just with some of the lines, but then like there's some really like intimate um moments um that like you're like holy shit that's painful same with Watchmen. oh my god um but then a certain somebody shows up in episode three sean that you're gonna be like oh shit what up oh nice (laughs) yeah yeah i'm hoping to catch it i've got Watchmen on my hard drive i just need to dedicate time to watching it yeah dude it's it's so good it 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 took me a little while to get my head around it at first because mm-hmm. like I couldn't remember everything from the graphic novel and the movie. But then like once I started piecing yeah. stuff together, I'm like, Oh, Oh, Oh yeah. Like that. And it started, and <laughs> it started doing that. But in, the, in the movie and in the book, Dr. Manhattan, like he ends the Vietnam war. They, yeah. they surrender and they consider him a God. And then Vietnam becomes a, you know, a United States. And um, and and the way they handle that in the show is so cool to like see the streets of Vietnam of what it would look like if they were if you know they worshipped this <laughs> this god that came to their country and you know ended the war within like seconds you know what I mean like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool how it does that but 
definitely check out that show. Preston, have you seen that, or do you have any access to HBO at all? Nope. Yeah, Preston, I can get you. Uh, I can get that to you. For Thanks, sure. Man. You'll love it, dude. You're You'll welcome, love man. it. Yeah, as soon as you're done, just, you know, sucking back cough syrup like a madman. We'll, uh, I just picture Preston coming out of his sinus infection looking like Mad-Eye Moody with that fucking flask. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were talking about the lazy eye. <laughs> no, no, the fucking wonky eye. fucking twisting everywhere. Um, you know, I forgot because, like, uh, what was it, uh, Saturday night or Sunday night? Like, we were going to get on and game on Xbox. And yeah. Uh, I, I taken some like NyQuil and then, you know, I'm waiting for everybody to get on. And I completely forgot that I took that NyQuil. So I'm like, crack open a PBR. Oh, and no. Then, like, oh, 1045 damn. hit. And I'm like, fuck it. I got to go to bed. He double cupped it. You heard it here, folks. Yeah. <laughs> God, yeah. What sinus infection? Did you put a little bit of fucking lean in there, too. A little codeine, promethazine. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to game. You're on palmade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Damn. Well, I uh, I want to give a shout out to a listener, Kaylee. She emailed us um, how about a week ago, just giving a shout out, and she suggested a series of topics for us to uh, to listen to because she wasn't quite caught up on the show yet, and she suggested stuff like uh, the Atlov Pass, uh, the Watcher story of that you know that famous house and the Watcher, um, and then some other really great topics that we haven't covered yet. So. Um, she put these in an email with links to all the stories. She's getting caught up now, uh, right now, on the show. And so she emailed back shortly after saying, ah, I just realized you guys have talked about some of these. Um, but no, Kaylee, some of these we have not talked about. So you have definitely helped us toss, you know, another uh, couple coins into the, the wishing well, so to speak. She also sent in a listener story here. She said, I had to share. I haven't been listening to the show in any particular order. Hey, me too. I always listen to podcasts in random orders now. Um, but I was alone at work listening to the Halloween episode from a few years ago, the episode where Preston's audio stopped working and he had trouble with his EVP audio. Anyway, I was at my desk when I heard the printer start printing out of nowhere. Hail the printer the is right next to me, and I looked in the tray, and it was something I printed earlier that I just randomly reprinted. So I went on working and had stopped the episode. Later that night, I was in bed and turned the episode back on. Out of nowhere, my son's buzzed light year started making noises. It went on randomly for like 30 minutes, even after I turned the episode off because I was creeped out. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Kaylee. Glad we could uh, help you not fall asleep that night. Well, should we jump on some uh, some news? We got a yeah, couple fun news stories. One second. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to see. As they, so Chelsea on the Facebook page, she posted a photo and it said... I miss the days of wanting to drink the sarcophagus juice. And then it's <laughs> Oh, on the mummy episode. <laughs> yeah. And it's got it's got a picture of something out I don't know what show this is. Outside of a bar and it's like Heineken, fuck that shit. Sarcophagus juice. And he's like yelling at him as he's going to a bar. <laughs> it's pretty <laughs> oh, good. Hell yeah. Pretty good. Oh man, that's awesome. That post that fucking episode got a lot of uh, hits. Three it reached three hundred and ninety people, supposedly. Damn that! Ain't, and you know what? People we don't love boost, their mummies. You know the advertisements <laughs> yeah. for this yeah. at all. So that's not too shabby at all. Yeah. And I was trying oh, yeah, to find the messages that uh, Headset Jones sent in. He was wanting us to talk about something. Do you remember what that was? I don't know how to check messages on Pixelated Paranormal. He said, uh, "When that merch is av- when that merch available, need me a shirt." And I said, "Oh man, soon. <laughs> Hoping to have things ready uh, for pre-order by the end of the month. COVID kind of slowed things down." 
and took away the momentum. And he says, man, you and you and the rest of the world uh, just finished up that Fat Mummy episode. Enjoyed it while I picked up dog poop. Thanks. <laughs> That's so Brandon, dude. He's so ridiculous. Yeah. And then he said, uh, when you got the shirts ready, count me in for one. Uh, he said, also, speaking about mummies, I don't have any experience with mummified corpses per se, but I have seen and transported my fair share of deceased persons when I took a part-time job at the crematorium one spring. I, mem- I remember that. That's kind of like modern day mummies, right? I mean, really, yeah. It's about burial. Yeah. And then you sent a picture here of what looks like maybe inside a embalming room, inside of a. Uh... It looks like a body bag with a zipper. Oh, it is. You're right. That's that's exactly what it is. Wow. I know my body, dude. Get the fuck out of here, son. <laughs> you are always the pallbearer of the group. <laughs> he said, um, hang on. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> Always the, always the mortician, never the corpse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he said, when working at night there in the back, they claimed they had an electrical problem. But at like 2 a.m. on a morning after dropping off a body into the fridge, the fucking doorbell for the office rang and I about shit my pants. Oh. <laughs> Can you imagine? It's 2 in the morning and you're by yourself with just a corpse. Good golly. Couldn't imagine. He said... He said, I was all by myself, finished up the paperwork, and got the fuck out. (laughs) GTFO'd. (laughs) (laughs) It happened one other time when someone else was with me, but when you're by yourself there at all hours of the night, it could get weird. I also only... I only worked there for about five months. I said, I said, well, holy shit. And I told him we were actually working on some fun shows. We were planning to actually go talk to some morticians, uh, do some interviews. And we had an end to possibly uh, take, not part, I don't know, we're not going to take part in it, but be there present for an embalming uh, as well. But with COVID, again, golly. Now we're all going to taste it too. (laughs) (laughs) Taste the embalming fluid. And he said, awesome, that'd be really interesting. It's a cool subject. Uh, it has a lot of different avenues of discussion. Hope you all get to it sooner rather than later. Embalming is weird. It reminds me of Phantasm. Hell yeah. Oh, does. God. As soon as I, he said that and I seen that, I was like, oh, God, Sean just got a fucking chub. Yeah, I mean, you probably, you <laughs> felt that boner poking you all at your house, didn't you? Embalming is weird. It reminds me of Phantasm. I worked at a crematorium, so we didn't have to work with embalming equipments. Just a big oven, basically. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> And I said, yeah, I think that's why I've always been morbidly curious about it, because of Phantasm. And he says, Rip Angus Scrim. Movie probably inspired me as well. So good. It's yeah. crazy, because like, I've known this kid for so long, and yeah. I won't get into his past, but like just seeing how far he's came as an individual, uh, when he would used to you know message uh, the other podcast uh, that we listened to you know, back in the day. All, yeah, yeah, yeah. All, right. All communication was done through voicemails, and then the hosts would filter the voicemails that were, you know, worthy to be show worthy. And every right. time, every time Headset Jones called in, you know that shit was getting getting in the show because it would just cause yeah. so much content. Because that kid mm-hmm. has came a long way. <laughs> so well, good. That's awesome, yeah, man. Yeah, thanks for writing in, dude. Uh, we love for you, sure, and yeah. can't wait to get you a shirt, man. And yep, thanks for picking yeah. up dog shit. That's great. Yeah, dude, whether it was by choice or a hobby, you know, hats off. <laughs> He's probably a responsible dog owner. <laughs> yeah, good, man. I just, I let mine shit in my backyard and don't worry about it. Yeah. It keeps, uh, it keeps the gophers and moles at bay. 
<laughs> and speaking of voicemails, folks, give us a holler. We'd love to uh, have you guys pop in, say what you're thinking about the show, tell us some spooky stories. And our Google Voice number is 913-662-3144. That's 913-662-3144. And, and I think it cuts off after about three minutes, so yeah. you may have to call back if your story goes longer than that. But. but that's enough time to call in with all your spoilers for the Mason secrets and spells and all the codexes. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Hell yeah. Cool. Well, anything else, guys? Should we jump into the, some news? The, yeah, you guys jump into news. <laughs> you guys. just keep on sipping <laughs> on that Robitussin, bud. He's over there passing out. He's got that fucking Forrest Whitaker eye going on. <laughs> oh, 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 oh man, good old Forrest. I forget he was in a Halloween movie. He was. Wow. Yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. What was that? Which one was that? It's like, it might have been H2O. No, H2O had uh, uh, damn, LL Cool J. Oh, that's right. And yeah. Busta Rhymes was in Resurrection. All right, you guys ready for this first story? <laughs> yeah. So this has absolutely nothing to do with the paranormal. That's all right, dude. Here at Pixelated Paranormal, we like the unusual, the strange, and the just fucking weird. There we go. This is what this <laughs> falls under, weird news. Now, this makes me laugh. In no way do I like laughing at the pain of others, especially children. Mm-hmm. But just because there's video proof of what science mother nature can do mm-hmm. it's it, it is a phenomenal video and it's hard not to chuckle so <laughs> with that sorry hang on real quick there's a there's a quote they say a lot of times on letter kenny whenever they're like nothing's funnier than a fart yeah and they're like except for kids falling off bikes fuck yeah. i can watch kids falling off bikes all day i don't give a fuck about yeah kid. it's yeah it's one of them things man like when you know like if it's uh, not your kid something that will always be the perfect example of this is my i was in a wedding and my buddy david was standing <laughs> Uh, we were all standing up on the, you know, for the wedding pictures on this like podium type, you know, stairs, things, whatever. And we're all standing there, you know, and they tell you don't lock your knees because you don't want to pass out, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and uh, so everybody's sitting there and everybody's like awkward getting these pictures taken. And the the groom and the bride, their son uh, couldn't have been more than two at the time. Mm-hmm. He had kind of fell off this ledge and into this like bush. <laughs> Shrub club. It. It caught Dave off guard so bad that he oh, just no. like he ex- his face exploded into laughter, and then which made oh, me laugh. God. And then like everybody's like, <gasps> like because he because the kid fell and but and then the wedding photographer videographer like when you uh-huh. know how they'll send you like the DVD of the highlights of your wedding that <laughs> the kid falling didn't get in there but like a reaction to like a good time like partying and like having oh, a good yeah. time and it had that clip of him fucking freaking out oh my god i watched oh. that shit so much dude it was so funny so with now, that if it was me if i was editing i would have thrown in some street fighter noises and just uh, put like a montage uh, uh. <laughs> Falling in the bush, yes man. yes so no, with that no. being said like kids are just they're it, when they get hurt, it's not that it's funny, like, oh, my God, I want them to be hurt. It's laughing because it's just it's just silly. Okay? I don't, I don't, well, I don't know how to. They're malleable, so yeah. usually you can just pop the yeah. things right out of their foreheads. Yeah. <laughs> With a suction cup. 
<laughs> so, um, in Taiwan, this this past weekend, a toddler, toddler, three years old, was lifted oh, wow. thirty feet into the air by one of the kites. Yes, you heard that, a kite, <laughs> at the international the Hinshinshu, I think so, city. International okay. Kite Festival. According to Focus Taiwan, the three-year-old girl suffered abrasions to her face and neck, but was God. otherwise unharmed. Winds in the community located about 50 miles southwest of Taipei reached seven. Taipei reached seven on the Beaufort scale. Yeah, Beaufort, which is listed as near gale, and whatever the fuck that is. Gale force winds. Okay, just say fucking really fucking fast winds. <laughs> Scientists say they were really fucking fast. Yeah. <laughs> More details at 11, which is, uh, it, can include, it can include, that's the kind of news I want to watch, man. Like, don't yeah. be so fucking scientific and, and sensitive and shit. Just be like, yo, there's some crazy fucking shit happening in this hurricane, okay? And up next, Steve with the news, <laughs> yeah. Steve with the weather. Yeah. Uh, well, the wind's going to be fucking fast. Yeah. <laughs> Back to you, Gail. So, uh, winds up to 38 miles an hour. So, and the crazy thing is, is everybody has phones. So when this is happening, you know, you're getting multiple angles of this motherfucker. (laughs) There's a video. The video video is so insane. Holy shit. This thing is just fucking spinning this little girl around, man. Like a fucking wet noodle, dude. It's nuts. Oh my God. It's yeah. It's almost like it's the tail of the kite. Preston, so the did you watch it? Is flying. Jesus no, I, uh, I don't have the docks there, buddy. I, uh, I don't have the. Link <laughs> the I can't. It lasts like one. Preston, point, I emailed you the dock, but one point five seconds. Oh my god. And oh my god, just, that's insane, dude. It's just so nuts, man. It almost looks like it was tied around her neck too, like. Yeah, just about. Oh, oh my god. So now you know the old saying, like when someone annoyed you too bad, it's like, yeah, go fly a kite. <laughs> yeah. It's just not like, but to to be whipped around that much and only suffer abrasions to her face and neck. So yeah, it was around her neck. That's just, and that's, what's crazy about it is that's why it's weird is that who knew, I mean, obviously when we think of a kite, you're not thinking of it like launching you up into the sky. You know what I mean? It's going to, but with someone being that young and I bet you somebody else like, here, you want to try it? And then, or maybe, the wind came down and it was like almost like final destination. That shit. Like it came, it yeah. likes flying around, came down, was like went around her neck real quick and just fucking lifted her up. Oh my God, dude. The grip strength in that toddler. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know, man. Like it, <laughs> There's a 44 second video of multiple angles. Oh my God, Steven. Yeah. I'm not going to bed tonight. I'm going to watch that shit on repeat. <laughs> It's hard not to. Be, only because We're the gonna, kid's safe. If yeah. it was a morbid video, I would not be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If, it, oh. if the kid, like, died or something, I, I would not be laughing about it. But, dude, the, yeah, like. It's a snuff film. And, like, what's crazy is that kid, how, three years old. That little girl ain't even going to remember that shit. I know. <laughs> like, that's what well, she fun. will because it's been archived yeah. and memorialized on Twitter. She'll be like, huh, Preston? That one flung her ass. Dude. Be like, uh, what's your name? Uh, my name is. Oh shit! You're that little girl when you were three years old. Yeah, yeah. Went Kathy, up the... My name is Catherine. Yeah. Wait, are you Katie Kite? <laughs> <laughs> Katie Kite. <laughs> Katie Kite. That's too good, man. Oh my god. Yeah. So I Thank seen. God, she's okay. Yeah. So I seen that, and I was like, well, you can't get any weirder than this. That's great, Steven. You brought the heat, man. Although I do wish that they would have picked a better kite to fly that little girl up on. Should have made it like a dragon or something like that. <laughs> Right. So some kind of pink squid. Jesus, man. 
Well, if she was any higher up than 30 feet, she would have been seen by this next story. Two pilots on two different flights reported seeing a man in a jetpack thousands of feet above Los Angeles on Sunday, prompting an investigation by authorities. Iron Man. (laughs) Hold on, folks. I got this. Yeah. Or if I could rock American Airlines pilot was approaching Los Angeles International Airport around 6.30 p.m. on Sunday when he called in the sighting to air traffic control, according to the audio log. The unidentified flying person was at the plane's altitude. The pilot said 3,000 feet in the air. (sighs) Fuck that, Katie Kite. That's nothing. (laughs) 30 feet? He says, Tower America 1997, we just passed a guy in a jetpack. Only in L.A., an unidentified person (laughs) said in the audio log. (laughs) That's great. Another pilot on Southwest Airlines flight, according to NBC Los Angeles, also reported seeing the individual in a jetpack, and the air traffic controllers radioed to another airline crew to warn them. The Federal Aviation Administration confirmed the sighting to NBC News in a statement Tuesday. Two airline flight crews reported seeing what appeared to be someone in a jetpack as they were on their final approach to LAX around 6.35 p.m. PDT Sunday. The FAA alerted local law enforcement to the reports and is looking into these reports. The FBI's Los Angeles field office also confirmed they were aware of the sighting, and a spokesperson for the office said the FBI is working on determining what exactly happened. Well, fuckers, a guy was in a jetpack. Boom. Promote me. I now work for the FBI. That's great. What do you think that was? Uh, I mean, I'm hoping it's just a dude in a homemade jetpack, because that'd be rad. Some bootleg black market jetpack, dude. Can you imagine? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. It's L.A. Uh, we're in a time now where you can 3D print anything you want. People are smarter than ever. Yeah, you but you have... can't 3D print and 3D print fucking jet emulsion. Mm, you're right. We don't have no damn Tony Stark <laughs> living in fucking L.A. right now. Yeah, dude. But, but then again. Like, there's 14-year-olds smarter than the three of us put together when wait, it comes to building yeah, If shit. you can 3D print a working pistol, I'm pretty sure you can 3D print a fucking jetpack. Okay, True. Technology Hold on. There. When did this happen? Uh, it would have been Sunday. Oh my god, it all makes sense now. What happened? Retrograde? No, check this out. Elon Musk just became the third richest person in the world. Oh my god. The stock just split. Conveniently around the time this jetpack was seen in the fucking sky. He built a jetpack. And he's flying that shit around like a fucking villain. What? <laughs> like a villain? <laughs> Come on, it's in L.A. Come on. (laughs) I've got you now. Well, I mean, when you're Elon Musk, what else are you going to do? Name your kid weird-ass star constellations? Well, true. (laughs) Because he sees them all the time when he's flying in that sweet-ass jetpack, baby! (laughs) Oh, shit. I'm going to laugh if, if, like, that really happened. He comes out, I built a jetpack, and I was flying it this weekend. And I'm like, oh, I got it. Can would, you imagine what jetpack insurance would be, though? Can you imagine that what that would do for our podcast? I don't even know. <laughs> I'd be like, us we, give us three jetpacks. Let's hope so. <laughs> you guys, I wouldn't be able to get to thirty thousand feet, though. So you guys have fun with that. If you could fly as high as that girl on a kite, Steve, it's fucking impressive. Still, True. just Not cause, because like, I'd get of, like forty feet up in the air, you know. Oh yeah, so, 
That's it. Just Bucket so I could, list. like, you know, grab onto a tree. That way, in case the jetpack shits out, I'm not going to die. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I think it'd be okay to die from a jetpack uh, fault. Yeah. Think about that. I that mean, would be, A, a fucking badass way to die. B, you'd be able to do something no one else has ever done, besides Rocketeer, of mm-hmm. course. And, and C, Man. you're going to be able to taste your own asshole through your mouth, because you're going to splat into the ground. Yeah, but you're not going to remember, oh, you're never going to be able to remember what it tastes like, so... The pros outweigh the cons, bro. I mean, you could possibly, yeah. you know. You don't know what it's going to look like on the other side. Like, you imagine, yeah. like, you have to relive <laughs> the last moment for eternity, and it's like, well, I'm tasting ass for the rest of my life. Listen, it's <laughs> worth it for that sweet-ass jetpack. <laughs> I played San Andreas. I know the, <laughs> I know, I know the jetpack. <laughs> well, you know what? Like, people have survived skydiving accidents where they didn't have a a shoot this dude here um oh god dave hodgman he survived a 1200 feet uh descent from a skydiving accident whenever he lost control and his jet uh, his jetpack didn't go well his jetpack didn't go off either or else he wouldn't be in the story his uh parachute malfunctioned and he fell from a uh what do they call those like uh skydiving formations and he lived to tell the tale so i mean it'd be nuts also man. i guess you know 30,000 feet 30,000, 3,000 feet is technically almost three times that height, but... Yeah, that and, uh, I don't know, rocket fuel on your back? Could just be spitballing here. I mean, a rogue pelican, it's over. Yeah, no shit. You just became, you just became a firework, pal. Yeah. <laughs> Poor bird. Can you imagine how you have to make peace with your life whenever you decide that morning, well, I'm going to try out this jetpack, I guess. Do a quick little, you know, chesticles, testicles, wallet, and watch, and... Do you, do you tell anybody? Do you say, hey, I'm... I fucking tell... I tell... I call the fucking news. <laughs> so you Guess what, like guys? Sean's going up in a jetpack, baby. <laughs> and it fucks up and you look like a jackass. You're, ridic- just... <laughs> you're ridiculed for the rest of your days. There was that jackass that thought he could fucking take a jetpack and fly off to space. Dude, I would shotgun two of these pumpkin spice yetis and then just go for it. Woohoo! <laughs> he went out doing what he loved. Weird shit. That was way too dangerous. Right. Oh, God, I love it. Well, let's talk about something else that's a little bit dangerous, folks. Missing 411. We've talked about it before. It's been quite a while. I now have in the old pixelated paranormal library uh, four of the anthologies of missing, I should say, four of the missing 411 volumes. I've got North America and beyond. Hunters, the devil is in the details, and sobering coincidence. So we've actually got a pretty decent backlog of these missing 411 stories we haven't really even touched on. So if you guys are doing good on time, why don't I share about uh, two or three of these tales with you? Coolio, man. Now, I haven't read these either. I kind of skimmed through them and looked for keywords like the most bizarre, and I've never experienced anything like this before. So bear with me here if I do respond out of sync with uh, if anything kooky's gone off here. But now, again, guys, missing 411. Uh, you're also going to hear little sound effects like this. That's me actually turning pages, folks. That's right. I'm not on a tablet. This is good old fashioned analog books. Uh, missing 411. It's basically spearheaded by a retired police officer, David Politis. 
And a lot of times people go missing for no apparent reason, and there's a lot of weird factors. Mainly, uh, they could be somebody with disabilities, they could be a child, they may have gone off hunting. But in most cases, a lot of times, people have gone missing, search and rescue teams have gone out to look for them, and in some cases, up to 2,000 people over the course of a week have gone out looking for these people, only for their bodies to be discovered later in plain sight where people had clearly walked and searched for their bodies. And in some rare cases, actually, there are survivors, mostly children, to this event. But what's even more alarming is they're oftentimes found by bodies of water, maybe face down in, I mean, three inches of water. It's really bizarre. A lot of them are coined up to being just drowning accidents when clearly somebody in the right mind, or I mean, hell, pressing a Robitussin could probably survive half of these drownings. Hell yeah. <laughs> But there's just a lot of really weird reoccurring factors. And in some cases, the bodies are found with the clothing, you know, stripped off and folded up. Or they may have been lost whenever there's a downpour or a flood. The bodies are found uh, really literally unscathed. There's no dirt. They might be completely clean. There's no sunburns. There's no scratches or cuts from the bramble. It's really just bizarre happenings like that. And a lot of times they're happening in national parks and the actual national parks do not want to play ball. They don't keep a record of this supposedly. And uh, it just seems really weird. And the thing I like about it is Politis never comes out and blatantly says these are serial killings. These are, you know, predation. These are alien abductions. These are Bigfoot. He just, he doesn't know. And it's just something that he's dedicated pretty much the rest of his life to researching is these, uh, these strange disappearances. And I think there's a couple documentaries now that might be free to watch if you have Prime. I know Missing 411 and Missing 411 The Hunted should both be available now for you to watch. Each one typically covers about three of the more bizarre tales of people disappearing. So it might be something for people to check out. I've never seen either one of them. I know there's a lot of them on there. There's a lot of fucking documentaries on YouTube, too. Yeah, well, and you know what? I, I text you guys. Um, I believe... I forgot what it's called. What were you going to say, Presto? Uh, the the one that was on Amazon Prime, I actually watched that with Jeffrey and the uh, the, the missing children cases that are on there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, they're, I mean, watch it. It'll change your whole perspective on taking your kids camping. Like, it'll freak you the fuck out. And, well, honestly, it changes my perspective on letting my father-in-law or my dad go hunting, period. You know, a lot of times you hear, oh, I just went out this morning and by myself, blah, 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 my special little honey hole. No one ever knows where they're at. No one realizes what time they went. And, I mean, it's easy for something to happen, someone to fall out of a tree stand or whatever, and then, God, accidents happen all the time, but... Yeah, if you guys want to check these out, too, after this episode, uh, check out Can-Am Missing Project on YouTube. That's C-A-N-A-M Missing Project, and that's David Politis' YouTube channel where, you know, he'll be out on a hike or fishing or camping, and he'll actually, you know, tell a, a story or two while he's out on the fly just to hopefully catch the public's eye and maybe help somebody, you know, solve the case of what happened to somebody disappearing. The only downside is the ads are obnoxious. Whoever uh, sponsors him must have a boatload of money wrapped up in ads because there are a bunch of them. But, you know, don't blame David. It's not his fault. So, And also, if you ever find yourself up in Bailey, Colorado, check out the Sasquatch Outpost Museum where I have bought, I think, two of my four books from. 
Awesome. And also, if you want to buy missing 411 books, do not buy them on Amazon. People are upcharging like crazy. These things really sell for about 25 bucks. If you go to canammissing.com, I think it is. I'll double check that address before the end of the episode. But yeah, they're really cool books, and you really should buy them straight from David because that's where you're going to get them, you know, at the right price. Or at the at some bookstores too, like Bailey at the Outpost. Well, let's crack one open, boys, shall we? I don't think we've talked too too much about hunters. So I want to give a shout out to my little niece, Monica. She got me this for my birthday last year. Aww. And inside the cover, I've got a unicorn sticker and a little sticker that says Funkle because I'm a fun uncle. Tight. Everybody all at once. Aww. Aww. <laughs> all right, cool. Aww. So in... Press that's late as <laughs> shit. Yeah. That shit, yeah. Calm down, Robitussin. Yeah. It's on that lean. <laughs> He's got a natural PBR lag. edition. Right. <laughs> Robitussin lag. So this is about a gentleman named Robert Winters who went missing on October 8th, 1969 from Sparks Lake, Oregon. At the age of disappearance, he was 78. Now, Robert Winters was a retired logger and a family man and an ardent hunter who enjoyed the great outdoors. He and his sons, Charles, George, and Alvin, had hunted the area of Sparks Lake for 20-plus years. Sparks Lake is 20 miles east of Bend and, and just a quarter mile southeast of Devil's Lake. It sits at an elevation of 5,400 feet. In early October of 1969, the Winters men headed for Sparks Lake to make camp for their annual deer hunting trip. On October 8th, the boys last saw their dad. The boys thought their dad would be hunting in the same general area they were, bounded by Soda Creek, Broken Top, Fall Creek, and their campsite at Sparks Lake. When Robert failed to return to camp at dark, the boys became concerned and started to search. Just as the night started to set in, snow started to fall. And that's a common element, guys. A lot of times when these people went missing, there is a bout of really severe weather, either just before, just after, or even during the search. Um, another odd factor is sometimes there's clear skies and perfect weather when people disappear, and then during the actual you know, search efforts, there could be a torrential downpour. So water, for whatever reason, be it snow, rain, or hail, plays a big part in this disappearance phenomenon. Anyway, snow started to fall, and it fell heavily throughout the night. Almost 18 inches of snow fell during the first 24 hours that Robert was missing. The Winters contacted the Deschutes County Sheriff's Office, and a search was immediately started. Robert's son exclaimed that they usually hunted at a higher altitude, but the amount of snow on the ground forced them down to Sparks Lake. They all had agreed to stay lower to hunt. Sixty people were utilized for the search, according to the sheriff's office, and at one point a helicopter was even called in. Those on board thought they saw some types of tracks at nearly 7,100 feet near Soda Creek. So if you're keeping track, we're talking originally 5,400 feet elevation. They thought they saw some kind of tracks in the snow around 7,100 feet, so you know, not quite, uh, quite 2,000 feet higher. The tracks were discounted because nobody thought Robert could walk that high in the snow that was that deep. It would have been too difficult and too dangerous. So the search was terminated 
after the fifth day without finding a trace of Robert. Nothing happened in Robert Winter's case until nine months later, when a physician on vacation found a peculiar site near Soda Creek. Dr. Jack Crosby of Bend, Oregon, was looking for a campsite when he found a deer rifle, eyeglasses, clothing, and other items just off the creek. Now, Crosby notified the sheriff's department and the, de the deputies, Mel Newhouse and Norman Thrasher, who responded. Politis said he was able to interview Thrasher, who's now retired. He spent 28 years with the Chutes County Sheriff's Office and stated that he would never forget the scene just off Soda Creek. Thrasher went on to state that it was just below the timberline in an area of large trees. Tree covering in the region was spotty, but in this location, there were several trees. The rifle was leaning against a tree, and the clothes were all at the base of the same tree, along with the eyeglasses, one boot, one glove, and other personal effects. He and Deputy Newhouse spent about three days on site, searching for more evidence of what happened to Robert. Now, one of their first jobs was to methodically search the area around the base of the tree to ensure they hadn't missed any obvious evidence, bones or other personal effects, and so on and so forth. Everything they found was near the base of that specific tree. So for three days, they looked for bones, but they found nothing to confirm that Robert had died. There was no blood visible on the clothing, and it appeared as though the clothes had possibly been removed from the body, not torn off. When Politis asked Thrasher if he thought the scene looked odd, he stated, very odd. He clarified this is one of the weirdest cases he had ever investigated. Politis asked if there's any animals that could totally consume a human body, bones included, and leave nothing behind. He said no. He went on to say that Robert's body was gone, but his clothes and personal effects were left behind. He has no idea. He says, this is one of those major peculiarities in the case. When Politis asked him how convinced he was that he and Newhouse adequately searched the entire area for other evidence, he stated there was nothing, nothing at all, that anybody could do to recover there. They had found all the evidence. There were no bones anywhere in the area, and he said that for three days they literally did nothing but scan the ground for bits of evidence to indicate that Robert Winters had died. Thrasher went on to say the family needed a death certificate to finalize personal issues, but the local coroner refused for almost a whole year. The coroner wanted a skull or other evidence to indicate a confirmation of Robert's death, but he didn't have it. He did state that there was no way that Robert was alive, he had no clothes, and there was almost six feet of snow on the ground in the area where his personal effects were found. A July 21, 1970 article in the Bulletin newspaper stated that searchers did find Robert Winter's dentures and personal effects near Soda Creek. You know if somebody's missing their dentures, it's serious. Oh yeah, for sure, man. There was an old cabin in the area, but it was not utilized by Robert. Imagine that dentures are found, but the body's not. Does that mean that something removed Robert's dentures? This is another in a long list of cases where clothing is removed from somebody who's missing. This is also a case where somebody walked up an elevation when they were missing into heavier, deeper snow. 
and more treacherous conditions. With the knowledge that Robert Winters hunted this exact area for 20 years, and with the knowledge that he was 78 years old, it's hard to believe that he voluntarily would climb higher and into his demise, especially after telling his sons he would hunt at a lower elevation. Now, SAR, search and rescue teams, know that missing people rarely go higher in elevation when they're missing or when the weather is turning sour. An interesting question here is whose tracks did the helicopter pilot spot at 7,100 feet just after Robert went missing? Surely they were not his. He was too old and smart to go that high that quickly and risk death or exposure. So what do you guys think? Initially, what comes to my mind is the Atlov Pass. You know, a giant snowstorm and that entire team was found in all sorts of different states of, you know, undress, whether they were just in their skivvies or, you know, wearing two pairs of, you know, two shirts, but no pants, that kind of thing. So that's kind of weird. Yeah, I could see like, uh, you know, they say like when hypothermia sets in, like you start to hallucinate and like you kind of lose all sense of like bearings and like yeah, you yeah. start to feel like you're on fire, like you're hot. So I could see him like removing all his clothes, possibly like, oh shit, like I got to get rid of my teeth. They're going to eat me. And then like he throws his dentures <laughs> out in the middle of the forest. <laughs> so that's a possibility. Mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. you know, like Sasquatch or whatever the entity in missing 411 like, dude, I want these nasty old fucking teeth and just like chunked them out of his mouth and then yeah. kept on trugging along with the body. So yeah, it's, it's really bizarre. Steve, what do you think, man? I don't know. I don't know much about this four missing 401 stuff. Like it, mm-hmm. to me, it doesn't sound like Bigfoot. It sounds more like alien shit. Yeah. Being able to evaporate somebody out of nowhere, get them out mm-hmm. of there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Yeah, and there have been other cases, too, where, you know, somebody went missing and then their body was found, like, floating in a, you know, pool of water. The entire body was covered in, you know, not quite second degree, but stronger than a first degree sunburn, you know, top to bottom, head to toe. And their clothing was folded up neatly next to the dead body. And so, you know, of course, immediately comes down to, oh, well, they took their clothes off and got a sunburn. But the bodies themselves are not covered in any kind of scratches or scars or cuts. Yeah. So, again, I mean, that's an oftentimes answer uh, to what people think it could be. Well, up next, we got the story of Corey Fay. Corey went missing on November 23rd, 1991, again at 6.30 p.m., just west of Thai Valley, Oregon. At the age of disappearance, he was 17. The disappearance of Corey Fay, a student at the Jesuit High School in Beaverton, Oregon, ranks as one of the most unusual disappearances involving a teenager. Corey was a junior in high school when he asked Mark Maupin if he could accompany him and his friend to go elk hunting in a region of West Thai Valley on the fringe of Badger Creek Wilderness, which would be a national park. Mark was a good friend and agreed to bring Corey along. Corey had training in outdoor survival and had hunted in the area in the past. He knew what to do in the case of emergency or if he was ever lost. He carried an emergency solar blanket, a compass, extra food, extra ammunition, and a small backpack and a rifle. The three men arrived at their hunting spot and decided to split up until 6.30, when they had agreed to arrive back at the vehicle. That was the last time 
anybody saw Corey. Folks, don't split up anymore. Let's at least have your phone on, your GPS going exactly. something. Yeah. That afternoon was cold, and the hunting proved fruitless. Maupin later told investigators that they were in the correct spot, a spot he knew there were elk. Again, because they've hunted that area plenty of times before. But inexplicably, they didn't see anything. When they arrived at the vehicle, Corey wasn't there either. He never arrived, so they called the sheriff. But Maupin notes they didn't see any signs of animals, period. The Wasco County Sheriff's Office was the lead agency in the search for Corey. The search and rescue included helicopters with special search capabilities, equestrians, hikers, and seven of the best-trained search dogs in the world from the Rocky Mountains Search and Rescue in Salt Lake City. A total of 250 searchers scoured 12 square miles for 10 days and didn't find any trace of Corey Fay. There were many theories about what happened to Corey. The one that got the most press, however, supposed that he may have been accidentally killed by another hunter and then buried. However, cadaver dogs never found a grave site. There were also theories that Corey may have survived for a long time, and one of the searchers thought maybe they may have found a campsite with an old fire, but this was never confirmed. With so many searches and substantial air support with the search and rescue, it's doubtful Corey lived long after he disappeared initially. Otherwise, David Politis says, I believe they would have found him. The official search was terminated on December 1st, but many volunteers kept the effort going for many more weeks. The Wasco County Sheriff was so perplexed by Corey's disappearance and the lack of any evidence he actually called the FBI and asked for their assistance in unraveling what happened. Now, there wasn't much activity on Corey's case until September of 1992, almost a year later, when two hunters were hunting by a ridge 10 miles from the point where Corey was last seen. They found his backpack and his rifle. Another searcher found Corey's jacket more than a mile away from the other belongings. The hunters immediately notified authorities. Corey's items were located at an elevation of 6,500 feet, 10 miles away from where he was last seen. A quarter mile from his backpack, searchers found a small bone fragment and one tooth. The sheriff stated that Corey would have been in the snow up to his waist for more than five miles at the point of where the discovery was made. An article in the Eugene Register on September 18, 1992, reported the following. Authorities know the snow was deep there because a helicopter had spotted tracks during an intensive search for Corey last November. The tracks turned out to be an animal's, but the snow was almost waist deep, and they had been a good three miles from where the items were discovered yesterday. The article later states that searchers didn't believe Faye could have gone as far as he apparently did. An interesting side note here is finding that on September 19, 1992, an article surfaced in the Eugene Register clearly stating, Corey's grandparents told the press the boy was trained to follow a stream downhill if he ever became lost. Take note of that, folks. This isn't legal advice, but if you do get lost, follow a stream downwind. This is odd, because the article makes you believe that Corey did just the opposite. 
the sheriff makes it clear that back in November of 1991, his helicopter crew did see tracks on the ridgeline near where Corey was found. He makes it sound as though they landed and determined they were animal tracks. However, if the snow in the area was new and four feet deep, no helicopter would be able to land there because they would blow the snow and the evidence away. This assertion by the sheriff sounds like he really didn't know what was going on, but insisted on guessing. Corey was found 3,000 feet higher in elevation than where he was last seen, and 10 miles from the point where he should have been hunting. Could he have covered this distance and elevation in less than one day in snow that was waist deep? I'm going to go with a no, folks. No shit. Remember, <laughs> remember the sheriff stated that he couldn't believe Corey could have made it that far, and that's why the search didn't focus on that location? Was the sheriff correct? You may need to go back again and read what was found on the ridgeline. They did not find Corey's pants, boots, or socks. Boots are heavy. They don't just disappear. What's equally unusual about this discovery of the remnants of Corey's body is that no skull was ever found and only one tooth was located. This is all that was recovered. Even though a sheriff sent a third party in to do a grid search of that ridgeline area across one and a quarter mile of the area. Searchers did not find large bones that are normally associated with finding a skeleton, a femur, ribs, hip bones, vertebrae, etc. This case disturbs David Politis greatly, he says. The fact that searchers could only find bone fragments, no skull, nothing, only a tooth, is highly unusual. The fact that Corey's gun, his backpack, and other personal belongings were strewn along the ridgeline strikes me as bizarre. Nothing any hunter would voluntarily do. Corey's disappearance and the sheriff's lack of initial findings of the evidence were deemed unusual when the search was nearing completion. Corey was a smart boy. He was well-trained, and he knew not to walk uphill. Anyone who has spent times outdoors in the winter knows it could get colder at higher elevations. Rain turns to snow, and that leads to hypothermia. So Corey was trained to follow creeks and rivers downhill, which will eventually lead you to railways or roadways and civilization. You'll read about several hunters in Oregon, Washington, and Idaho that disappeared while elk hunting. Many of the facts of their disappearances do not make sense. As you read about these incidents, think about the facts and ask yourself, could these things have voluntarily occurred, or was something else at play? I believe that the Wasco County Sheriff believed something highly unusual happened to Corey, something so unusual, so beyond his investigative ability, that he got the FBI involved. Now remember, the FBI does not get involved in any missing person case unless there's some evidence of a crime, abduction, kidnapping, and so forth. But here's another case where the FBI got involved in a rural disappearance, yet law enforcement did not tell the press any facts justifying calling in the FBI's involvement. Here are some key questions to consider about this disappearance. Where are Casey's boots, socks, and pants? Why would Corey remove his coat? Why would Corey drop his firearm? Why would he do anything contrary to his survival training? Could he have walked three miles in waist-deep snow on a cold ridgeline 
And why would he if he looked below and saw there was no snow? Why would he even be on a ridgeline in cold weather? Why would he be 10 miles from the point he needs to be at in a one-day hunting trip? Who's going to cover 10 miles in a day that far away? That's nuts. Yeah. And why would the sheriff summon the FBI unless there was evidence of a crime? That's freaking nuts. It is nuts, man. Jesus. Well, there's plenty more to cover, and I think we'll definitely get back to these again. But I want to share another story that we touched base on years ago. Steve, this is actually before you joined the show, I believe. So you may have listened to the story, but I don't think you were on here. And this one's a little longer. That's why I'm kind of short, because this is several pages. But Jesus, thing's fucking nuts. So strap in. Hold on. This is the last story here. This is going to be the story of Ronald Henry Tamman Jr. He went missing on April 19th of 1953 from Fisher Hall, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. He was 19 years old. So imagine a 1950s 19-year-old man. These guys have gumption. You know, they're smart. They're probably football players. Ronald Tamman Jr., was born on July 23, 1933, and was the first child of Jane and Ron Tammon of Rocky River, Ohio. The Tammons eventually had four other kids, Richard, John, Robert, and Marcia. The family moved to Hillgrove Avenue in Maple Heights, Ohio, and this was the address that Ron Jr. would call home. Ron Jr. attended Maple Heights High School and earned varsity letters in track, wrestling, and football. Keep that in mind. 1950s, 19-year-old, lettering in track, wrestling, and football. The kid could probably handle himself pretty well. Mm -hmm. He was most known for his physical attributes in track and field. He graduated from high school in 1951 and then enrolled in Miami University, one of the oldest universities in the U.S. in the fall of that year. Ron Tamman's abilities at Miami were not just athletic. He was also quite a musician. He played bass fiddle for a campus band called the Campus Owls. He was a business administration major and had a 3.205 grade point average in April of 1953. Ron had become a member of the Delta Tau Delta fraternity, and he'd earned the trust of campus dormitory dormitory officials, and he was given the status as resident hall advisor for the freshman dormitory at Fisher Hall. Now, Fisher Hall has quite a long history. Before the university arrived at Oxford, the hall was used at the time as an insane asylum. The building was given to the United States Navy and used as a radio training school. After that, it was home to the Oxford Female College. It is now called the Markham Conference Center and is used for meetings. It's also the only hotel on the Miami University campus. So the building has had quite a legacy. A lot of shit. Mm -hmm. Now, just to the west of Fisher Hall and down the fairly steep embankment is Four Mile Creek, which runs along the entire western edge of the university. The creek is surrounded by thick forest and foliage and is much, much larger than Four Miles. And I've seen the creek, says David, in the winter months, and it looks much like a medium-sized river. The creek gets its start from the Houston Woods State Park and Action Lake, approximately three miles north of the university. 
Immediately north of that is the formal gardens, which is an area of nicely kept flowers and plants with some areas that are quite overgrown. As with every story, this one has some very unusual aspects. Ron is a varsity wrestler at Miami. Miami. Miamiville Horror. Ron is a varsity wrestler at Miami, and although he wasn't always a starter, he was known for being the hardest working athlete on the team. He competed in athletic publicity backgrounds with the following information. Name Ronald Henry Tammon Jr., aka Ron. He's five foot nine and a half and he weighs about a buck forty-five. Many letters. Three in track, two in wrestling, and one in football. So the dude's a pretty decent athlete, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. On November 19, 1953, Ron went to the nearby town of Hamilton and visited physician and Butler County coroner Dr. Garrett Boone. He told the doctor that he wanted his blood typed. The doctor remembered asking Ron, why would you want to get your blood type done? The student stated he might want to give blood someday. Dr. Boone sent him to the Mercy Hospital, where the blood was sampled, and Ron got his results with him at Fisher Hall. He was an O positive. Dr. Boone would later state in his 30-plus years of medicine that this was the first request of that type he'd ever had. It was an odd request because Ron could have had his blood tested on campus. Now, Ron had just one brush with the law that anybody could find on record. On March 21, 1953, about a month before his disappearance, he was driving a Chevy, Ohio plate number 992MV, at a high, at high and Main Street in downtown Oxford when he allegedly ran a stoplight and was pulled over by Officer McDill. The officer issued Ron a citation for failing to stop at a red light. Ron appeared for the court hearing on March 23rd and at 4 p.m. the mayor's court in Oxford where he pled not guilty. Mayor Worley attempted a fine of $5, and then suspended the sentence. This was the lone entry on his card inside the Oxford Police Department that Ron Tamman Jr. had ever gotten. On the early evening hours of April 19, 1953, Ron was with his band playing a local gig when he returned just before 8 p.m. to his second-floor corner room. Ron's roommate was gone at the time, and Ron entered his room to a strange sight. He found a fish lying in his bed. Ron walked downstairs and contacted Fisher Hall management, Miss Ora Truitt, Todd Hunter, and asked for two clean sheets, a pillowcase, and a mattress cover. She mentioned that Ron, that she thought he looked tired. He just said he was going upstairs to change the sheets and then go right to bed. The hall manager saw Ron leave the area and go upstairs towards his room. Two other students later stated they saw Ron upstairs sometime after 8.30 p.m. when he told the guys he had heard something that disturbed him. But that was the last time that he was ever seen. Sometime before midnight, almost four hours after Ron was last seen near his room, apparently leaving, Ron's roommate, Charles Finley, arrived in the room and saw that Ron's bed was made, but that he wasn't there. The roommate thought nothing of it, as sometimes Ron decided to sleep at his frat house. Charles saw that Ron's desk had a light on, and a book on psychology was open on the desk. Miami was approaching finals week, and many of the students were thinking about mainly getting their grades, and maybe not as much about their friends at the time. 
Ron's roommate realized something could be wrong on the second day after his disappearance and contacted authorities. The dean of Miami was notified on April 21st of Ron's disappearance, and he supposedly contacted the authorities at that point. The authorities finally decided to take his disappearance seriously on April 23rd, four days after he had last been seen. The former police chief of Oxford, Oscar Decker, was interviewed about Ron's case numerous times, and he's confirmed that there were several. He confirmed there were never formal police reports filed about the disappearance because there was never any evidence about foul play. Miami University school authorities searched Ron's room and found his wallet, his bank book, his school materials, his keys, and everything but a wristwatch all in the room. They searched for his car and found it in the parking lot, and he had always parked there with his instruments inside the car. The only thing that was missing from the room were his clothes that Ron was wearing and his Mackinac coat he put on because the snowstorm and wind outside on the night he disappeared was very heavy. Again, another snowstorm. There was no indication of a struggle in the room, but the pillowcase was missing from the bed. Ron lived on the second floor of the hall adjacent to the fire escape structure, which was on the outside of the building just above an old awning. His room was one of the very few on that floor that would have an immediate access to the outside via the fire escape. There was an investigation, but many accounts of it were very, very weak. Dr. Garrett Boone made comments to the press that when he contacted the dean at Miami about the information he had about Ron, he felt the dean just didn't care. As Politis says, I've read dozens of articles about this case. I was constantly confronted with the feeling that administrative and police didn't take the disappearance seriously. There was one potential lead that was developed. A woman lived in the area off campus called Seven Mile. She reported that somebody matching Ron's description came to her door asking for directions. The man had a haircut similar to Ron's, but had mud on his face. This reported sighting was investigated intensively and later discounted, as she couldn't positively identify it as Ron. After the investigation got rolling, there was simply no evidence that Ron had left the campus, and no one saw him leaving. One theory had Ron disappearing over a case of amnesia, but that never stuck. Another had Ron concerned about his draft position. And he supposedly disappeared because he didn't want to go to war. Ron is a good student and in a extreme. good place in Miami. What's that? So that's pretty extreme. Yeah, isn't it? It's Damn. elaborate to just disappear because he doesn't want to go to war. <laughs> yeah. I would love to see, you know, just a list of interesting ways people draft uh, dodged back then. Right. Ron is a good student and in a good place in Miami. He was almost assured of a deferment. One of the most interesting theories had Ron leaving because he got his girlfriend pregnant. The pregnancy theory, though, may have been answered, may have answered the question about why he got a blood test. Ron's longtime girlfriend was contacted after the disappearance, but she wasn't pregnant. No woman ever came forward either, claiming that Ron was a father of their baby after he vanished. Ron had a younger brother that was a freshman at Miami when Ron disappeared. Richard Tammon stated that he had seen Ron the night before he vanished on Saturday, and Ron seemed completely normal. 
The investigation into Ron's disappearance got a huge spark when the head of Miami Housing for Students, H.H. Stevenson, was vacationing with his wife in Wellsville, New York, on August 5, 1953. The couple said they were passing through Wellsville and stopped at a hotel for dinner. As they were seated, Mr. Stevenson made eye contact with a table of men seated a short distance away. One of the men looked exactly like Tammon, and Stevenson stated that he definitely knew the student. Stevenson said that he was looking at the man, and the man who looked exactly like Tammon appeared to be looking right through him. Once the couple finished dinner, they walked out to the sidewalk where he told his wife of his sighting. The couple went directly back into the restaurant, and the man and the rest of the men were gone. They looked in the lobby, in the sidewalks, but they never could find the group of men. Politis said he did, he did a little checking in Wellsville and found it was just 10 miles north of Pennsylvania. It's a small city known for its oil wells. It's the only city any size of 30 miles in any direction from the disappearance. It's been almost 60 years without any evidence of what happened to Ron. Now the case is interesting to Politis, he says, because it hits closer to home. David Politis' son is a student at Miami University and an athlete just like Ron. Ben Politis plays ice hockey for one of the best Division I teams in the NCAA, and the team stays at the Markham Conference Center when the student food and dormitory facilities are closed for the holidays, a.k.a. the old dorm building that Ron lived in. Now, Politis says, Ben has told me many stories associated with a supposed ghost that haunts the ground near the formal gardens just outside the center. This is what jump-started me into investigating this case. I spent many hours in the university's communications office, where a special file on Ron Temin Jr. exists. Part of the university's file contains several articles about a, quote, phantom that existed just outside of Fisher Hall and in the surrounding gardens. Ron's room would have been one of the rooms facing the direction of the garden. Three weeks after Ron vanished, on record, students heard someone singing in the vicinity of the gardens late at night, near midnight. A few of the men from Fisher went into the gardens, and the male voice stopped singing. The guys looked around the garden, but didn't see anything, and thus returned to the rooms. At midnight the following night, that same voice started singing again. This time, a larger group of guys went to the gardens, and the singing again stopped. They searched the area again and again, but couldn't find anybody. But they were in the mood to find the culprit. So the following day, the group of men reunited, and they recruited others. They searched the gardens for sound equipment. Finding none, they just searched and cleared the area, and got a group to surround the gardens too. Together, they all waited. The men were sure that nobody was inside their parameter as they waited all night. Unbelievably, the singing then started. The men slowly converged and made the tighter circle tighter and tighter on the garden. Tight, 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 tight. And the singing stopped. In a document titled The Disappearance of Ron Henry Tamman Jr., dated May 27, 1975, the following was written about what the group of men saw next. It says, The men stood around trying to figure out where they had gone wrong. A form suddenly leapt from a nearby bush. 
The rather tall figure was dressed in all white, and it raced across the old golf course towards the now Hanny Hall. The men gave chase, but it easily outdistanced them and then became lost in the woods. In the words of one of the pursuers, the phantom seemed to run with, quote, superhuman speed. The singing was never heard again after that night, but the rumors started to emerge. The most prevalent depicted figure could have been Ron Tamman's ghost come back to haunt the university. As it's a coincidence that the Four Mile Creek was directly in the path of the white figure that ran from the men. Four Mile Creek. Queek. <laughs> Uh, is it a coincidence that Four Mile <laughs> Creek was directly in the path of the Phantom when it ran from the men? Four Mile Creek also has a healthy quantity of bass that lived in the creek. Did the fish that Ron found in his bed come from that creek? Is it a coincidence that Ron was the room directly next to the external fireplace, fire escape, and facing backwards towards the gardens in the creek? I don't believe in coincidences. There was never any student that came forward and admitted to leaving the fish in Ron's bed either, yet that was the one incident that caused him to get new sheets in a pillowcase. What had Ron heard that supposedly disturbed him when reported by the two other students just before the disappearance? I find it highly coincidental that Ron's case matches almost every other missing co-ed case in this chapter where the university is slow to get started on the case and allows critical time to pass before any formal investigation starts. It's also coincidental that it was storming outside the night Ron vanished. It's hard to imagine there's no police report written about this incident at the time it occurred. Why wouldn't the Dean of Miami require documentation? Fisher Hall was later demolished in 1978, and the Markham Center was built in its place. School officials searched the rubble for any evidence of Ron Timmon Jr., they found nothing. It's wild, man. And that is the story of the fish and the phantom. Fish. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Three bizarre tales of disappearances. Now what I'll probably do over the weekend is actually dig deeper in that book and see what else I can find. But yeah, what do you think, Steve? Missing 411 is kind of your first uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. indoctrination. Like, I don't think it's Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know, man. I, I think aliens, but yeah, I don't know. Disappearances. Yeah, doesn't really lean on Bigfoot at all. It's yeah. just something that gets brought up to a lot of the disappearances in the woods. Yeah, just because of woods, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Woods are creepy enough without worrying about some hairy beast running around. <laughs> Very true. I'd, I mean, Very I true. like when I think of woods, like I think of like people, fucked well, up yeah. people okay. living in there so, and doing greasy shit. Um, yeah. Not in every not in every Native American folklore is Bigfoot described as an ape. Sometimes they're just described as the wild men. So there's this tribe of wild people that live out into the forest. So, you know, this idea that as our population is growing, their population is decreasing. So they're having to steal people to bring in new genetic material because they're dying off. Mm. Like they realize like they got to bring in new breeding stock. And so, you know, you bring in a child while they're young, that way they, you know, stop missing their family. So when they're the ripe age to breed, they feel like they're part of the tribe. So do I think it's Bigfoot per se? No, 
but um, some of the other no. some of the other missing four one one though, <laughs> like that ha- has to do like where they find the body, and yeah. um, there's like they're like oh they just got drunk and they fell in the river, but then like they do an autopsy. And it's like somebody's already sucked the blood out of them and they've yeah. been in like zero mm-hmm. G gravity. So then yeah. like, I, I think it's a, a culmination of different paranormal phenomena. So I think some of the missing 411 in the woods is maybe like this missing tribe of people because, you know, you hear reports of, oh, I saw this big hairy dude carrying a rust sack that had something moving in it. And then you know, the missing 411 that takes place around rivers in the city, I think that that could be, like, aliens. And then, like, this kid, I mean, he's, like, college. He's, like, top athlete. He's asking to get, like, blood work done, and then he disappears. Yeah. That could be fucking, like, uh, what was that book that we covered with uh, Preston Nichols, like, Project Pegasus, where they're, like, taking all, like, these, like, you know, young teenage men and doing experiments on them. Like this could be some government shit going mm-hmm. on with this story. So I think there's a, a, a lot of cookies in this cookie jar and just, just whichever one you pick out, that's probably what it is. Right. Yeah. Uh, we talked about a story and a sobering coincidence, presto that, uh, or sorry, Steve, that had a guy who was disip- <laughs> who was disappeared, who disappeared one night after a night of drinking and then was found several days later, like upright waist deep, in water in like a gravel pit. Hmm. And uh, he had all the goo inside his eyes drained out. Whoa. Yeah. That's and creepy. I think if I remember right, the body was eviscerated. So like all the blood was just gone. Yeah. That's some alien shit. Interdimensional travel shit, man. Yeah. It's, it's some pretty creepy stuff. So we'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely do some more reading on these. I might let you guys borrow uh, each one of these and then we can kind of do a big compendium. That way it's just not me narrating the entire time <laughs> yeah, be cool. but yeah they're pretty great books um the website if you guys want to find one of these is canammissing.com and when you go to it it's the canadian american project the missing project now the website is kind of old so across the top you'll have a little rectangle that say like missing 411 canada missing 411 the hunted you click one of those boxes and then it'll bring up a link for you to order the book now the only problem is because the guy runs the thing himself I think you can only order books on Wednesdays. Really <laughs> weird, but yeah, that makes it that much fun. That much better to have one of these it's books. It's like a Pokemon right trading card event. <laughs> right. Only here on Wednesdays. So. Awesome. Let's yeah. get up out of here, man. Yeah, let's do it, man. It's after midnight now. So. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, Steve, what do you got to plug, man? Cool. Check us out on Instagram, PXL Paranormal. Go on there for all the awesome pictures and little shot screen not screenshots snapshots that we post and all that stuff get on our facebook page of pixelated paranormal podcast like the page share the posts really appreciate it and as always please leave us an honest review on itunes or anywhere else you leave reviews on whatever platform you choose it greatly helps out thank you most definitely oh yeah and check out the rest of the shows on the pixelated sausage network Pixelated Sausage and Amazingly Baca, 13 Nightmares. Hey, we got a couple more reviews on there too, so I'm glad people are listening and that should be up soon. Uh, otherwise, Presto, what do you got, man? And as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow the best damn pumpkin spice latte 
wearing, drinking motherfucking beer that you can grow, check out BigDobsBeardBomb.com and use promo code PXLPARA for 20% off your order. And you know what? Spice that shit up with uh, sweet tobacco, bay rum, yeah. Dundee cedar. Those are kind of false scents, I guess. So, I mean, while you're sipping yeah. your latte like a bougie bitch, uh, throw some sweet tobacco in that thing and glisten to your fullest extent. And then, uh, you know, if you need to get your hair did and you live in the Wichita area, go to www.cutsbycolin.com and book your appointment today and ask for the Razzle Dazzle to look your, your best. And uh, if your shit's out of alignment and, uh, you know, your muscles are all tense, go over to threepillarshealth.com and book an appointment for some acupuncture with Benny today. And then if you need breakfast and you're out about on the weekend, Paranormal Experience, that's the place to go. I got the Jefferson uh, this weekend. I don't know what that has to do with paranormal, so we're going to have to ask them next time. But it was like a (laughs) Texas toast sandwich with like sausage egg cheese and like this amazing gravy that came on the side and it only cost me like four bucks so it's like at a good price well when i when i go on the 26th i'm we're making i'm making an event out of it i'm bringing the portable microphone so we're gonna get some audio are you like i'm gonna i don't know why you guys haven't done this yet give me one of those yeah Like you guys Steve, just... I'll tell you why I have it. I don't have a fucking portable karaoke machine like you do. Bro, you got your fucking iPhone. That fucking that uh, microphone is perfect. The app thing. Oh, I thought you meant like a bullhorn. Never mind. No, I'm not gonna fucking. All right, everybody, <laughs> look here. See, extra, extra. No, <laughs> be that fucking PT Barnum shit. I'm an idiot. No, like, uh, yeah, just like I don't know. Give him some promotion. Uh, yeah, do an interview for him. Yeah, yeah. do a, do, a, do a spot. Do an advertisement. An ad fun. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. We'll do but it. Preston, you forgot your other sponsor, NyQuil. Oh, yeah. Yep. Robitussin <laughs> and PBR, folks. That's the winning yeah. combination. Ooh, what do you call that? Hillbilly yeah. Delight? Yeah. <laughs> now, something coming up in the Wichita area, guys. If you're in the Wichita area, we've got Scary Movie Mondays <sighs> starting September 14th, going all the way through October 19th. Every Monday, they've got triple features except for of course monday september 14th now this is at our starlight drive-in monday the 14th they're going to show the shining 40th anniversary 4k restoration and then after that doctor sleep director's cut Ugh, it's gonna be such a long night but so worth it oh my god i'm it's so gonna excited. be a long night every night every monday i don't care <laughs> dude it's worth it oh uh, it's gonna be amazing yeah, yeah yeah roll with the punches man leaf has delivered uh Against all odds, a pretty awesome, what I'm calling Horror Fest 9.5, because we're not celebrating number 10 until we can all get together. But uh, the 21st of September, Creep Show, the original Dawn of the Dead, the original Day of the Dead. Then on Monday, September 28th, a little more kid-friendly, we're showing King Kong, I believe it's the 70s remake. Then Godzilla vs. Megalon, and after that, the battle beyond the stars! Monday, October 5th. Steven is just ready for this one. Nightmare on Elm Street 1. Nope, I'm boycotting it. (laughs) Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Yes. And Galaxy of Terror. Dream Warriors on the motherfucking big screen. I'm so excited. Yep. But that's cool, I guess. What's the date on that one? uh, That is going to be Monday, October 5th. Okay. Now, the one that's got me sliding off my chair. after my birthday. So we'll just go ahead and say that's my birthday present. (laughs) There you go. The one that's got me sliding off my chair with ecstasy is Monday, October 12th, Friday the 13th, 5, 
6 and part 7. And then we're going to seal the deal, folks, because sometimes you just need old Bruce Campbell to sign off on a great movie festival. Monday, October 19th, Evil Dead. Evil Dead 2, Dead by Dawn. And then Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. So you're getting a Fulci film in there, folks. Six nights, 17 films. Why, why, seven why are we not doing uh, Army of Darkness? That just seems so perfect. But yeah, guys, 7 bucks a person, $14 for a car load. Please come out, drive. Hell, drive an hour. It's worth it. I mean, you wouldn't get home till 4 in the morning, but shit, you know. Sleep when yeah. you're dead. It's going to be fucking awesome, man. I'm so excited. It's going to be great. It's going to be really it's gonna awesome. It's going to be nice to have yeah. something to look forward to every Monday because it's oh, yeah. hard right now with everything going on. We basically live yep. every day in the seat of our pants and wondering what's yeah, going to come next. Having something I can focus on is going to be tremendous. It's going to be great. And I mean, Horror Fest has been so near and dear to, you know, Steve, you and I um, for several years now. And when COVID hit, movie theaters got shut down and we were really down in the dumps. I know Leaf was too, because it's supposed to be big number 10 this year. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you know, he, he, again, against all odds, really just a Hail Mary landed this bad boy. So yeah, dude. he is our, our savior. Check so. out Wichita Big Screen on Facebook. Yep. And, oh, yeah. uh, and if you're into horror movies, check out, uh, gosh, what is it? I think you can ask to join the uh, Wichita Terror Files yeah. as well. Yep. So hell yeah. All right. And then speaking of movies, pop on down to CD Trade Post at Pawnee and Seneca. Say hello to Leslie and the gang. Check out our friends down at Fast Print, Harry and Rock Road. Check out gunslingersoap.com as well for some really great handmade soap. And handy. Well, all right. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you to all the new listeners, the new followers. Just a big shout out to all you guys. And cheers to the weird shit in the world and to those of us who love to talk about and stay it. Stay spooky and stay on the Robitussum Highway. <laughs> <laughs> the cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal your guide to the unusual and the strange.